Hey friends, welcome to A More Beautiful Way, a podcast and project dedicated to slowing down and centering the sacred in our everyday lives. My name is Bethany Wilkinson. I am the host of this show, the curator of this project, and today's conversation features a guest I connected with I guess a couple of years ago on Instagram. Her name is Hillary Maddox. She is the founder of Black Girl Country Living and she writes and teaches and really embodies values of rewilding, returning to the land, building equitable reciprocal relationships with our kin, the trees, the plants, the the animals. Um, and it was just such a treat to talk to her because as a black woman, sometimes it can be hard to see yourself represented in the rewilding homesteading landscape, literally and metaphorically. And so today's conversation is between me and Hillary. She and I connected at the top of this year, so early 2023, and we just had an incredible conversation discussing our origin stories, how we got back to the land, the lessons we're learning about society and race and healing and Hillary offers some really incredible insights for those of us who are on a journey of coming home to ourselves of rewilding of remembering more fully who we are as creatures on the land and in the world. And so um, if you are listening to this and you're thinking, whoa, this has nothing to do with me. I live in a skyscraper or in the suburbs. What I love about Hillary is that she talks about the work of rewilding in a way that really is invitational. Whether you live in a big city or if you live in a rural community like me, there are ways that we can be proactive and intentional about reconnecting with the land and um, and partnering with the earth and with creation all around us. And so Hillary is a brilliant person. She is an entrepreneur. She is um, a founder. She is a creative. She is a parent. And um, I just can't wait for you to learn from her wisdom about rewilding yourself here on A More Beautiful Way. Hi, Hillary. Welcome. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. I am thrilled. I'm such a big fan of you and of your work (laughs) and of your creativity. And I just have so many things I want to ask you about. Sure. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Well, I want to start by asking you, where do you begin? Oh, I love this question. And I, um, I've been thinking about this question and, and how I wanted to respond to it. And, um, I think for me, um, there's, there's things that precede me, stories that precede me and, um, me coming into this world. But I think it really comes down to, for me, um, sort of chapters of my life where I continue to build on who I am and understand who I am differently in this world. And, uh, for me, um, chapter one being my childhood, um, born and raised in South Dakota, um, white mother, black father, and just being raised in basically an all white space. I had two older siblings and not really having a lot of language for what it meant to be 
a black person and a person, a black woman, and not really having parents who were able to equip me with an understanding of what that meant either. And um, just kind of trying to figure out who I was in a lot of ways. And um, in a space where I saw a lot of anti-blackness, both in my family and outside of my family, um, where there wasn't a real structure for understanding who I should look up to and who I could be in this world. Um, I think back to a very specific moment when I was in elementary school and we were dressing up as people who we admired and um, I chose to dress up as Rosa Parks. And uh, my dad, after seeing all these other white kids who dressed up as presidents and astronauts, he asked me why I chose to dress up as somebody who just sat on a bus and recognizing like, oh, my my dad doesn't even have like the context and an understanding of of what it means to be like a black person in this world and have pride in that. And so I think a lot of my life, my young adulthood was like searching for meaning and like, how can I be a black person in this world and be proud of that? And and then in an academic sense, sort of always showing up as not enough because I had two older siblings who were high achieving. And in those settings, I was just like, not about doing my homework, not about, you know, just just doing the things to check the boxes. I knew that there were some times and places where I showed up as um, where I could do the work. And like I had teachers who were proud of me, but I also recognize that there are teachers who just treated me like a dumb black kid and like didn't invest in me. So it, that those kind of moments really had an effect on me. Um, leading into the second chapter of my life, which was my leaving South Dakota um, and pursuing, wanting to pursue something that felt bigger and more important. And for me, that was a life in the city and being around people who looked like me and um, I left South Dakota and I just earned a degree in social work and quickly realized um, a job in social work was not going to pay my student loans. It wasn't going to pay. <laughs> it wasn't going to pay my, uh, you know, all of the bills that I was now responsible for. So I went the corporate route and found myself again in all white spaces. Um, was having to navigate and figure out who I wanted to be in these spaces and was trying to figure out how what success looked like for somebody who looked like me, but having, again, nobody to really look up to. Um, and I realized that I could excel in these spaces and um, that people that I kind of got pushed to the top in a lot of ways and um, I later found out it was called Flying Close to the Sun, where I always got to be in spaces with executives and big leaders and decision makers. And I thought that was really cool and really important. Um, and yeah, it was it was something that I was really proud of for a long time. And then on the more personal side of things, I met this man uh, who on paper has a very similar upbringing to me, um, also biracial, white mom, Jewish mom, and Nigerian black father. Um, but um, when I got to know his family, they had a very different relationship to their identity and their race. And there was a pride about them that I was just like, I want this for myself. Like, I know I could, sorry, 
it was just this understanding that I know that there's beauty there and that there are people like me who never get to see or acknowledge that beauty. But there are also people who understand that there is inherent beauty in who we are. And I got to see that. Um, so the second chapter of my life was really about exploring what that meant as um, a Black person and having the opportunity to see Blackness in a new way. Um, I got to live in Oakland, California, where um, it was like Black enterprises everywhere. And getting to see myself reflected in, you know, the the restaurants I went to, the medical care I sought out. And it was just different. It was new. And it was like, for the first time in my life, being seen. And I think that that, for me, just meant a lot. Um, and in this most recent chapter, which I would say kind of began with the pandemic and just like so many people reorienting my life to what is actually important has been this taking this new understanding of blackness and really exploring who I am as a black person and not just who we are as black people, but applying it and looking deeply at myself and coming to a different understanding of who I am, what I love. And those are things that I never explored for myself. Um, and so much of it was inspired by us deciding to leave the city and live a life that is more attuned with nature, that's slower, that's more intentional. And it's just given us just a different window into how we can live our lives. And um, it's allowed me to also step back from what I thought I had to do in this life to be successful and to have happiness and find joy and recognize that what I was doing in a lot of those spaces was minimizing myself and forcing myself to fit into a space that I was never really meant to belong. Um, and now at this moment, getting to redefine, you know, what the space is that I want to be in and find those spaces for myself. So that is where I currently find myself. Yeah. Wow. Oh, the chapters. <laughs> wow. Wow. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Um, I'm curious to know what the landscape of South Dakota is like. That might be a strange question. Um, especially in light of all that you've offered, which I want to return to so many pieces of your story, but that's one that's still sticking out to me. Um, I know that you grew yeah. up in, um, majority white spaces, but I'm curious about like the ecosystem, the land. I just have no idea what South Dakota is like. Yeah. Yeah. It's a really unique space. So, um, the Eastern half is, uh, prairie. Um, like wide open prairie for miles and miles and miles. Um, and um, that is where my um, my grandparents have a, a farm um, where my mom grew up on the farm. My aunt and uncle and cousins now live there. And the Western half is 
um, mountains and hills. Um, and there's a national park called the Black Hills, and we grew up right in the foothills of that area. Um, but it's really beautiful. Um, a lot of just unique spaces. There's um, the uh, Badlands, which is like kind of a miniature it's it's like these rock kind of canyonous rock formations it's really gorgeous um and you have all four seasons there so it's just like you get to experience you know all of those different spaces um throughout the year in all different you know types of of weather patterns and everything so deep cold really hot in the summer all of it mm-hmm. how um how did it feel to so parts of where our stories converge and even how we found each other. Like there's this growing up in this like rural s- slow place that seems really small, physically small, and maybe even small minded that can be frustrating and challenging. Yeah. And then yeah. it's like, I'm going to go be important in the big city. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so yes. we leave these towns to go be important somewhere else only to find that um, there are all these good and rich and beautiful things in the city, namely the diversity and seeing ourselves reflected as um, black people, black women in those spaces. But then there's still this call to like, go back to that smaller, perhaps smaller, yeah. slower place. And so yeah. I'm curious to hear how you have made sense of that and has there been tension there? Has there been grief in that? Um, how have you navigated that mm. sense of returning to a slow, a slow and maybe even small place? Oh gosh, all of that tension, grief, joy, like it's it's all of those things. Um, I think part of me always knew that I would come back to this at some point because I think I quickly realized that even in a city, it gave me appreciation for like the slowness of that I got to grow up in. Like when you're there in the moment, it feels like, oh, I'm so out of touch with pop culture. This is so deeply uncool. I just want to be doing the things that all the people on MTV are doing. And then you get to like have some proximity to like what is cool and hip. And you're just like, oh, this isn't all that great. Like there's just a lot of keeping up that's involved in this and it's very exhausting. Um, and so I think I always knew that I wanted to come back to it. Um, I just didn't know how or when it was going to happen. And so when it did, it was very sudden and there was just so much that I was unprepared for, especially after living in like tech hubs for the last decade where, there was all of these like seemingly convenient things that had been built up around us, food delivery, grocery delivery, you know, take an Uber anywhere at any time. It was just everything felt like it was just ready and waiting for you. You're like all you need to do is tap a button and then moving out into the country. Just everything, all of that just vanished overnight. And all of a sudden it's like, who do I have to depend on? Like, what do I have to do to make this work? And it's a really scary feeling of not knowing, can I trust myself? Can I depend on myself to make this work? And um, recognizing that having to face just a lot of the ways in which my life in the city was unsustainable the amount of consumption that I was doing, like ordering things from online stores, ordering food from 
around the world that has no place being in, you know, in Seattle at this time of year, you know, there's just, there's so many things that I was like, oh, wow, that was, there's just, there's a lot of expectations that were created all the way down to like my, my waste that we create. And we now live on a septic system. We now have only garbage pickup. So we have to deal with all of our yard waste. We have to deal with all of our um, recycling on our own. And that really forces you to see just how much, just how much we were consuming. And it was really eye-opening, really shocking, really disappointing, because I think a lot of times there's we're greenwashed into believing like the things that we're doing just because we're consuming something that's sustainable, that we're doing a good thing. But I think when you start to stack up all the boxes and start to stack up like, Oh my God, like none of this stuff is really, is really aligned with what I feel like or what I thought that I was doing. So there -hmm. was just a lot of waking up that I had to do. Yeah. I, um, I'm sharing about this in a post that has probably gone live by the time this episode goes live, but um, near where we live, there are all of these cattle farms. And then there's this one section, it's hundreds of acres. So I'm saying it's this one section, like it's tiny, it's massive. And we've only lived in this house for a year. So we're still tracking like what's being grown there, but it's, we think a rotation of cotton, well, we know cotton and then maybe soybeans. Um, and so a couple of weeks ago, they were harvesting all of the cotton spread across these hundreds of acres. And so for a week or so there, we were just watching these bales of cotton be like driven mm. down our road. And I'm just like, where is all of this cotton going? You know, and um, and I don't know as much as I want to know about industrial agriculture. Um, from what I understand currently part of the reason there are these massive industrial farms is because it's actually not very economically viable to be too small of a farm for many people. And so the way subsidies and industrialization has gone, it's, it's either be massive or don't exist. So I want to give grace to farmers who are just, you know, trying to make ends meet. Um, but also I'm like, golly, this is so extractive. And where is this cotton going? It's probably not, it's not staying in our community. Maybe the income from it is staying in our community. I don't know what that looks like, but yeah, when you live in a place that is a bit slower and where industrial agriculture is happening slash on a little homestead where you're like, out here growing food and recycling all your own when you're taking care of all of these things with your own physical labor, your own body, it does make you think about convenience, consumption, waste. Yeah. It, you just start thinking about all of it differently just because of your mm-hmm. proximity to a different way. Whereas when you're in the city, it's like, you don't even see it. You don't see bales of cotton being driven through the city. That's not how it gets back to the city. It goes to some no. plant somewhere made into clothes somewhere in another country. And then that gets shipped back. Like we're so many degrees removed from what it takes to sustain our lives. Um, and it's, and I'm not talking like I've got all figured out. I still order stuff from Amazon. (laughs) I'm still a modern Mm -hmm. consumer in the United States. And I'm thinking about it differently because I have a different relationship to it. Um, totally. Yeah. Yeah. Um, tell us about your homestead. Or, or your space. I don't know what you would call it. Do you farm? Do you homestead? Do you garden with a neighbor? Like yeah. what is, what does production look like for you in this season? Yeah. 
Oh, man, we have a little over an acre um, and it's a long, narrow piece of land and uh, we're in the Pacific Northwest. So um, the we're actually on an island and we look out onto uh, a body of water, Skagit Bay outside. And um, the front half of our yard is like nicely sort of landscaped, I guess. We, we've, we've got a few large trees and um, the back half is forested. And so it's a really interesting mix of different, different spaces, like all coming together. And when I first moved out here, my intention was just to start a garden. Um, and I started with two container gardens. And then once I saw how magical it was to grow <laughs> my own vegetables, I wanted more. And so I added um, several more container gardens. We put in a front garden and I started calling it a homestead because it felt like we were really laying down roots and, you know, trying to figure out how to to grow so, enough food to sustain ourselves. And maybe that is even ambitious still, but enough food where it felt like we were making a dent on our ability to nourish ourselves. And it's become so much more than that. It's just become our, during the summers, you know, spending time outside. It's our entertainment, really. Like we used to, honestly, I used to go shopping for entertainment. And now we get to go outside and spend time wandering around the garden, collecting tomatoes together wandering around our little bit of, of forest land, appreciating all of the beauty that's there and having a homestead on such a unique piece of property has also given me the ability to really lean in to understand this specific place um, and understand the, the history of this space. Um, we live in, uh, this is Coast Salish territory and specifically Lower Skagit territory and um, it's just has a really rich history of being a place of, of just abundance of food and the tribes that lived in this area, because food was so abundant, they weren't warring tribes. They were really generous and shared. And so it's, uh, my approach has really been along those same lines of like, you know, there's a lot of things that I want to learn how to grow. Um, but I also want to learn how to share with neighbors, to learn to share with other farmers and um, learn from what they know, because I think that um, it's easy to come into this way of living with this mindset of I'm just going to do this on my own and I'm just going to, you know, just got to bootstrap it. But there's so much wisdom we've lost that I think being willing to approach it with a more collaborative, open minded way of thinking of sharing is for me much it's it's much more manageable and it just makes it feel like fun it makes it feel like a way of living that I want to continue to pursue mm -hmm. we're not alone we're not <laughs> alone yeah yeah and I even feel like so much of your work lately I, I hope I'm not over over I don't know what the word is I'm looking for overstating it. Um, but I feel like that's been a big part of what you've even been building now, like thinking about how to get folks of color together in this rewilding, slowing down, returning to the land, if that's like an appropriate phrase, like, 
you're building and seeking to build community around that. So can you speak to that some, what that looks like, what you're dreaming about and who maybe some of these collaborators might be? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yes. This is just, this is a dream that I feel like I've been just mulling over for months and now it feels like it's starting to take some shape and in large part because there there's a community of people who see this as a possibility and it's really exciting. Um, But I, my background is in learning experience design and one of my favorite parts of my jobs um, in working for all of these companies was always getting to design workshops and always getting to like facilitate people through tricky conversations and past ideas and through ideas. And I wanted to take this experience that I'm having of being able to return to the land and um, offer to people who don't see themselves often in these spaces. And that's one thing that became more and more apparent to me is that there's not a lot of people who look like me, who look like us out here doing this work. And I want to create um, safe spaces where people feel like they are welcome, that they are wanted to come out and learn what this lifestyle is like. And um, the dream for me is to have so many, like so many venues, so many different collaborators, whether it's uh, a forested space, whether it's a farm, um, outdoor spaces where people can come and experience life in nature and know what it feels like to be in a space of non-judgment, because for me, that is what nature has offered. And it is starting from a place of um, speaking to something that I need right now the most, which is rest and joy. And so as I'm starting to figure out what what does this look like to begin with? I wanted to start with Black women and um, creating a space where we can show up as our as ourselves and don't have to perform and don't have to um, meet somebody's expectations of of what what they want us to do. Um, where we can show up and be unapologetically ourselves, experience joy and happiness. I imagine this being in a space that's like iconic Pacific Northwest forest where I can bring in collaborators who are body workers to do yoga with us, um, to do sound baths. Um, I've met some really great folks who are herbalists in this area, um, who could mix us teas that really address our specific needs in our body, because I think we've also forgotten just how powerful plants are and, um, how unique they can be in healing um, healing wounds in our bodies. Um, so I see potential in bringing in so many different kinds of people, um, and especially out here in the Pacific Northwest, where I think as Black folks, we show up in spaces where we're the only ones and we're so used to not being seen, um, bringing in collaborators who are people of color, who see us and who want to serve us, Um, and it's really exciting to be able to do that and to see like, there's so many of us out here who are creating and doing this work. Why not create a space that feels designed for us to be happy and heal? Mm, Yeah. Um, I'm curious to hear how you are thinking about 
your identity as a black woman and the land and the earth. And you've spoken to some of that, um, especially even in naming like the kind of spaces you want to create for um, black women specifically. But as you look at your internal world and as you are on this journey of continuing to know and celebrate who you are, how does that intersect with the land? What have you been thinking about? Mm. Um, How is that showing up for you? Oh gosh, this is such a good question. Um, Over the summer, I had the opportunity to do sort of a mentorship with um, another black woman who moved up here from LA and started farming. Um, Her name is Priscilla and she has a grass becomes a wave art studio and farm and she's growing her own flowers and using those flowers and soap. And it was the first time for me being out in a space of land. She was renting a plot of land at uh, this this uh, farm school, basically. And so once a week I would go out there, it was me, her, and sometimes another mother would show up and it was our kids would run around. Um, but we really got to kind of process our relationship with the land and It was the first time where I started to think more deeply about what my ancestors must have felt when they could have felt when they were out there doing this work. And of course, we are doing it under much different conditions, but I think it was also significant to be returning to this kind of work intentionally and asking ourselves questions about like, you know, the the kinds of things they must have been laughing about and Um, telling jokes to each other while, you know, harvesting flowers. And even though you're doing this work under the thumb of somebody else, like how it must still feel so giving because working with the earth is just so enriching. And it just, it felt really, um, it felt nourishing and healing to come back to, um, working with my body in a way Mm -hmm. that I felt like for so much of my life I had insisted not doing. Um, I think that in pursuit of sort of being in intellectual spaces, we're also sort of pushing away being present in our bodies and working the land, having my hands in the soil, planting things, harvesting things. You're immediately in your body and you are present with all other nature that's surrounding you and um, it just forces you to come back to your own humanity um, and recognize that you know feeding ourselves and um, giving to this earth and the earth giving back to us is the most human thing you can possibly do and it's really beautiful and Um, really empowering. And it's unfortunate that we have diminished that kind of work. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think there's also this recognition uh, in what you and I are doing, and a lot of other people are doing, that there is power to this, and that we ought to come back to it, because it it brings us back in relationship to ourselves, to our ancestors, and Mm -hmm. to all that is. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You saying that makes me think um, of a book I just finished. It's called The Hidden Wound by Wendell Berry. And are you familiar with Wendell? Wendell? Berry. Love Wendell. Yeah. I know. Love Wendell. Um, and this is a book that he wrote. I think he wrote the first version in 1968 and then wrote an afterward again in 1987. So 
old book and he's writing about um, race relations in the United States in this little book. And so I could not do the book justice, but he talks about how one of the losses he perceives for white folks in the U.S. is how by outsourcing like stewardship of the earth to black folks via enslavement that white folks then experienced a sort of um, like a fracturing, like there was a loss for them in outsourcing that work, even though they quote unquote got more money or, you know, more power, more privatization, they lost something that is vital for flourishing for humans. Yes. And how in that way, black folks who were working the land, though he was not speaking highly of enslavement, he was saying in a way there is an inheritance there that black folks have been able to continue. So should they choose to? And I thought that was really interesting. Like I'm still thinking about the book because it was, and it was a complex book as he tells these stories um, because his family um, did own people. And so he was wrestling with that in this book in the sixties and then in the eighties. But I do think that one of the tragedies, there are many tragedies with enslavement in the U S one of them is that for some black folks, like leaving the land was like the act of liberation. And so I find it to be important that there are some of us and, and many of us who are reweaving that, like going back to reclaim, like, yeah, enslavement was tragic and horrible and tons of ways and life on the land liberation actually begins on the land and with the land. And, and so there is like this reweaving that's happening and I'm still, you know, all of these little pieces are percolating in my mind um, and in my body as we spend time outside and um, tending to our little home here. But I don't know. Does that make you think of anything? I just had that thought um, in light of what you were saying. Oh man, it, yes, um, absolutely. I think that, oh, there's, there's a lot there because I think, um, being biracial, my, my mother's family is white, um, German and Scottish, and, um, they have been farming different, um, they've been farming in this country um, since before the revolutionary war and we can draw our roots back to, you know, their, their migration over here. And um, I think that not many white families are able to do that, to draw a connection to the land and keep a connection to the land in that way. And in that way, I'm really proud of my family because they've they have a connection to something that's deeper um and an appreciation for working with their bodies um for understanding what it takes to feed themselves to sustain themselves um and i think that they're i'm trying to find a way to say this that's maybe eloquent but i think uh they're I think white folks forget that we are all native to some place and that we all come back to the land at some point. And um, I don't see enough work being done around helping white folks find their way back to their lands. 
And I think that that is, it's tough because, I mean, there's, there's so many reasons why that is a problem and, and why that that is the case. But, um, I think we need to have a connection to place and a connection to, um, who we are in this place besides just a, a, a pledge or an allegiance to sort of the, an entity, um, as human beings, I think that there's something so essential that we need when it comes to living and being a part of this great system, um, that I wish that there was more work for white folks being done around. How do we, how do we all return to the land in a way that is authentic, in a way that does not diminish what other people have done in the land, what other people have sacrificed. Um, yeah, that there's a lot there. And I, I think I'm still doing a lot of processing of that myself. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, there's so much there for all of us. Yeah. I have another book by Wendell that I haven't started yet called The Gift of Good Land. And so oh. um, it's a bit bigger than The Hidden Wound, but... I don't know. Maybe I'll let you know how that one goes if I get around to reading it. Yeah. Let me know. Honestly, his book, uh, which one was it? Uh, I have it on my shelf somewhere and I, I'm totally blanking on the name. Um, it'll come to me. But he, as a white man, I think having him grapple with a lot of the pain of this country, it really, it really hit me differently than a lot of the the texts I've read about um, relationship with the land, because I think it is important to hear a white man acknowledge the kind of pain that white folks have created. Um, and he really wrestles with it. And I really have a great appreciation for Wendell Berry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I'm curious to hear a little bit about, um, I think you were hosting rewilding workshops and learning spaces for folks who are trying to figure out what this looks like for them. Can you speak to those? Cause I imagine that some listeners might be curious, like, okay, this is interesting. What is my connection to the land? Oh shoot. I live in the middle of a city and I have no idea where my trash goes, you know, like I can imagine (laughs) some of those thoughts. And so what are, um, I guess that's two questions. One is tell us about these rewilding spaces that you are creating or hope to create or the coaching, if you're still doing that. And then on the other hand, where can people start if they're curious about moving in a slower return to the land rewilding Mm. direction? Yeah. Um, Yeah, I think where can people start? I let me start with that because I think that um I think that it feels, you know, there's there's this urge that, that I felt even for a long time to come back to the land. And it also on one hand it feels like that looks really that looks like something my soul is yearning for. And at the same time, it's like, how can I possibly, how could I ever? And I think um, that it requires a lot of dreaming and it requires a lot of, of 
being willing to explore ideas that are different from what you've known and step outside of your comfort zone and just sit in the unknown because there's so much about this that I thought was going to be impossible um, that it really just it was a matter of really kind of dreaming it into place and sometimes it feels unreal that we were able to make this happen but the rewilding workshops were sort of conceived from this idea of like, how do I help people dip their toe into the water? And how do I help people believe that this can be a safe space for them? And um, I think I'll just share that so much of this desire to be seen came from um, the summer of 2020 um, where it just felt like this just boiling over of emotion. Um, and especially as a black woman in a corporate setting where it, you know, I had been told all the right things it felt like for so long. And um, after George Floyd was murdered, it was just kind of one of those moments where yet again, like we just kind of moved on, you know, business as usual. And it took days before I work for one of the biggest companies in the world. And it took days before anybody acknowledged it. And the people who acknowledged it were the black affinity group. And it took the black affinity group to be the ones to say, I see you. And I think that that moment was just this moment of recognition that like, damn, like nobody else is seeing us. And I wanted to, especially in, in an area, in a region where there's, it feels like there's so few of us to create spaces where we are seen and to create spaces where we are safe and to know that like when those moments happen, um, it's not business as usual. Um, and for us to be able to also come and step away from all of the trauma and just be able to appreciate the joy it is to also be a Black person and the importance of rest. And, you know, there, I think that there's so many of us who are exhausted from having to constantly, you know, push back against narratives about who people think we are, that it's important to also make space to just step out of those and put our heads down and drink some tea and laugh and just experience um, a space of, of total um, love, uh, unconditional love and acceptance. And um, that is what I want to make with these rewilding workshops um, and inviting people in who share that same philosophy so that it feels from start to finish like it is truly a safe space um, where people can just be present and let their guard down. Um, and so that's really become my main focus. I um, did some coaching and consulting, and maybe I'll come back to it eventually. But 
at this point, I really want to help people who are ready to just dip their toe in the water and explore what it feels like to start to form a relationship with nature. Yeah. Oh, so beautifully said and such a beautiful and generous invitation. Just, I'm so excited. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much. Well, how can people find you, keep up with you, sign up for these workshops if they, if they want to learn more? Yeah. Um, so these are still sort of in the, um, dreaming stage and, um, still finding, figuring out what are the spaces that can sort of create this safe container for something like this. Um, so I am always looking for input first and foremost about, um, and for right now, really focusing my efforts on the Pacific Northwest. So um, collaborators who might be a good um, fit for something like this. Um, I'm looking for spaces um, that would be, have a specific um, explicit intent around um social social justice and um, equity and inclusion in the outdoors. Um, and I'm also looking for other um, other folks who are doing this work so that I can reach out to them and see what's how they're doing it and what's working. Um, you can reach out to me. I have my Instagram, Black Girl Country Living, blackgirl.countryliving. And I'm also on Substack, uh, same name, Black Girl Country Living. You can also send me an email, hello at blackgirlcountryliving.com. And I'm hoping to be launching uh, early 2023. Awesome. Yay. Well, I'm just so excited. I'm really thrilled to be connected to you. It feels like we're going to be friends for a while, even though yeah. it's, I, do, I, hope I'm, I hope I'm not saying too much. No, no, you are not. No, I agree with this. I'm just, there's, there, we've had a few interactions and I'm like, this girl is doing what I'm doing. She's doing this thing. And it just, it feels good to see, see other people on this path as well. Other people who look like me and I love your story as well. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of A More Beautiful Way. You can learn more about A More Beautiful Way at www.amorebeautifulway.co. You can subscribe to a newsletter there. If you enjoyed this episode, please like, rate, review the show. Be sure to tap that button that says follow or subscribe to the show so that you are able to receive new episodes every two weeks when they come out. You can also find Hillary on Instagram at Black Girl Country Living, and you can learn more about her rewilding coaching and just so much of the goodness that she is up to and so thanks again for being here it's my joy to bring these conversations to you and I hope that they encourage you to slow down and to center the sacred in your everyday life catch you here in a couple of weeks bye